We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed hello sunshine i'm alexi lawless and welcome to the state of the union podcast where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red white and blue colored glasses this episode we'll be talking well mls playoff results the return of liverpool the watcher let's go brandon vasquez var allison Ream, a peek at the post-World Cup world, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this, what are we looking at, Monday, October 17th in the year 2022? I'm doing well. A jam-packed day for us. We are taping this podcast and then immediately after covering an MLS playoff doubleheader. We got all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, We have, as you mentioned, podcast. Uh, then I'm actually going to go in and do some what would be technical rehearsal because we got all sorts of bells and whistles and gadgets coming when it comes to our coverage of the World Cup. And that's all fine and well, but but if those that have to use it, like myself, don't know what the hell we're doing, that's a problem. So we're actually going to get some session work in and training work in on some of the tech, uh, the uh, like I said, the technical stuff that uh, we have. And it's cool. It is going to be really, really cool. I think people are really going to enjoy it. And not just as a, hey, that's a cool thing. But if it doesn't augment the viewing experience and give a people a peek and a better view into what's going on, then it's a waste of money. But in this case, I think it's really going to be able to illuminate and show some things, provided that I can figure out how to work it uh, on camera. And you will find out along with me when that red light turns on. But anyway, I'm going to re- be rehearsing that. And then uh, the MLS games that we talked about. And then I'm off to the airport, as I mentioned uh, in the last episode, to go to New Zealand. So we got all sorts of stuff that is happening today. It's going to be a very full day. I leave on Monday. I get there on Wednesday to Auckland, New Zealand for the uh, the FIFA uh, uh, Women's World Cup draw. So that's going to be uh, fun. You watch anything, my friend? Uh, this past weekend, I watched a disgusting amount of sports. There was so much going on between college football, baseball, soccer. Uh, I do want to congratulate producer Sean Sullivan okay. because yes. uh, the Tennessee Volunteers had an absolutely epic win, 52-49 over Alabama, last second field goal, they rushed the field, tore down the goalpost, incredible scenes in Knoxville, Tennessee undefeated, they've surged up to number three in the AP poll, number four in the coaches poll, Michigan is the other way around, three in the coaches, four in the AP poll, Georgia and Ohio State, one and two in both polls, so a lot of interesting stuff happening in college football. So nobody has necessarily slipped up in terms of the prognostications beforehand. Now, to your point about this um, uh, Tennessee versus Alabama game, all right? Whether it's Sean or, or my good friend Clay Travis, who's you know, breaking down in tears and Sean's got cigars and this is the most amazing thing. I, I feel like I'm being forced to celebrate this. Uh, can you give me some context as to why? I mean, they stormed the field and all they threw the, the goalposts into the water and this is, this is an epic type of moment. Is it just that they've never beaten their biggest rival and now they have and they actually have a chance at possibly being in that top four for the uh, playoffs? Well, a couple of things. Tennessee is a storied program that's uh, had some struggles of late. So they're happy to be sort of back in the front pages, if you will. Alabama is the program in college football. So anytime you beat them, it's... Is this an upset, would you say? No, because they were both they very were okay. highly ranked teams, okay. but um, it's a huge win. And obviously in, in the context of this season and the battle for getting in the playoffs and national championship and all that, it, it's had lots of significance, but just big picture, Tennessee fans like Sean Sullivan are just happy to have a moment like this again to enjoy. Well, congratulations then to the, uh, what do we call them? The Tennessee, Tennessee Volunteers. The Volunteers? Yeah. 
Okay, congratulations to the volunteers on their win over the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide. There uh, we go. I, I, there we, okay. Michigan and Tennessee, mind you, this might be way before Sean Sullivan's time, but there's some bad blood because of one of the more controversial Heisman uh, decisions in history back in 1997 when Michigan's Charles Woodson won the Heisman over Peyton Manning of Tennessee, Woodson becoming the first predominantly defensive player ever to win the Heisman Trophy, uh, and Tennessee fans to this day are furious about that. Uh, yeah, Sean getting in my ear reminding me about a Tennessee 2001 Citrus Bowl victory over Michigan. Uh, but nevertheless, that 97 Heisman decision remains a major flashpoint between those two schools. Uh, yeah, I don't care. Okay, um, here we go. Should we uh, light this candle for my friend? Oh, wait, uh, did, did you watch anything? Other than that, I mean, the actual I, I did stuff. watch the penultimate episode ah, of yes. House of the Dragon, which was very good. Uh, producer Sean Sullivan. Who so had it's been, rebounded then. Well, producer Sean Sullivan, who had been out on that show, is back in. He loved this last episode. So now we've got one more, the uh, season finale coming up next weekend. Uh, I, I watched The Watcher. Uh, it is a new seven episode um, thriller, sci-fi-ish type of horror kind of uh, thing based on an actual true story about this family that moves from New York to the suburbs and buys this house and they start getting letters sent to them talking about somebody who is watching the house. And, you know, it gets a little freaky. And it is based on, as I said, a true story. They never actually found out who was sending these letters and the FBI was brought in and DNA and profiling and all that kind of stuff. And they never actually found it out. And there was a big lawsuit because the people that bought the house weren't aware of this and then the the value and all that kind of stuff and it's become this myth and folklore type of it's not it's not a legend it's actually it actually happened there anyway it's very good uh and very interesting a little long but uh i thought very very good so that's the only thing that i have on my, on my docket um ready to light this candle let's do all it because right, we got all sorts of stuff uh, that is happening not the least of which is uh, the Major League Soccer playoffs, which not only are they upon us, they've already happened to uh, to a certain extent. We had games on Saturday, we had games on Sunday, and we will have games on Monday. We were recording this, as I said, on Monday. So four of the six playoff games have happened. We're going to talk about the four, okay? And then, as I said, I'm getting on a plane, and Mossy is going to take up the baton, as it were, and go with the last couple of games. So we're going to start off with the games that have already happened. Or where should we start, Mossy? Uh, Red Bulls hosted Cincinnati. That was the 4-5 game in the East. Both of us picked a, not necessarily an upset, but relative to usually the home team winning, we picked the away team, in this case Cincinnati, going into New York. And when I say New York, I mean New Jersey and winning. Nil-nil uh, at the break. The Red Bulls took the lead early in the second half. Lewis Morgan with a gorgeous strike, although he got injured and had to come out uh, right it's, after. It's it's it should be more uh, unique, and yet we see it on a continual basis. And there could be nothing more frustrating for both a player and a coach when you do everything to avoid injury and and give yourself the best possible chance, and that that it that it came on the end of this banger. I mean, this was an incredible goal, deserved the moment, deserved the celebration, probably ultimately deserved to be the winner uh, when, it, when it came down to how good it was, and yet he gets hurt. And it's one thing if it's a replaceable type of player, but we know that he has been, and can, you know, for the foreseeable future, is going to continue to be a star, thus the incredible uh, goal that he scored. So now he's out. So yes, you're up one nothing, but you lose a very, very valuable piece of the puzzle. Uh, since he equalized from the penalty spot, Lucho Acosta, and then late in the second half, a moment dripping with U.S. national team implications, <laughs> Brandon Vasquez bursts past Aaron Long and buries it, 2-1 final, since he moving on to the conference semis, they'll face Philadelphia Thursday night live on FS1, the Red Bull season is over, a lot of U.S. national team fans wondering why Vasquez didn't get a look, why Aaron Long is so entrenched in the squad. Those two storylines coalesce on that play. We're going to talk more about it in the Ask Alexi segment because we got a question specifically about that. It's so dripping that it required its own segment, and so we're going to, you know, dig our teeth into uh, into that. You know, having said that, just in general, this was first off a Cincinnati team that throughout the season has never put their head down. Okay, regardless of the circumstances, and you go down on the road in your first ever in history playoff game after a very very successful season. They got it done. They came back. I think that this is much more a, well, it's a success for, 
for Cincinnati and a failure for Red Bull, um, given the given the opponent, and not that the opponent isn't strong, but given the that the opponent the opponent's lack of experience, and you go you go up one nothing at home. It has to be said that look, I know it's not easy, uh, given the national television broadcast windows that you have to deal with, and traditionally. The New York Red Bulls have struggled to fill their stadium. It was not a great environment. It was not a good advertisement for the league in this moment. And it certainly wasn't a great advertisement for the New York Red Bulls. And to the people that actually came out, uh, whether it was Red Bull fans or the, you know, the small contingent of Cincinnati fans that may, uh, made the trip, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for making it better than, uh, than it could have been, even though in totality, it was it was not great. Luck, luckily, other folks brought it and made up for it later on. But this was, um, you know, this was disappointing. This was disappointing. And when it comes to the Red Bulls as an organization, they are what they are. They they die on that hill, both in terms of the way that they play and in their philosophy in that market. But again, you have an NY as part of your name stands for New York. We all know that it's New York metropolitan area. And with that comes a level of expectation. You have one of the, I think one of the most beautiful stadiums in Major League Soccer, and yet it suffers from a lack of, uh, a lack of people coming. And therefore, it doesn't create the environment that you want at the most important part of the season. And that was, uh, that was disappointing and that was saddening to see that. And ultimately, if you're watching that game, I don't want the Red Bulls to win. I want Cincinnati to win. And not because I don't like the Red Bulls, but I didn't like that environment. And I don't want, why should anybody be rewarded for something like that? And so Cincinnati, congratulations to Cincinnati. We've said it time and time again. This is a, this is a team that has you know, flipped the switch uh, with Pat Noonan coming as, a, as the coach and um, Chris Albright coming in, both of them, by the way, coming over from, uh, Philadelphia, which makes this matchup now kind of something that a lot of people wanted to see. And uh, the Philadelphia Union, as proud as they may be, maybe have been the architect of their own demise. Well, we'll see because uh, Cincinnati Red Bull is a very different type of game than Cincinnati Union. Uh, later on Saturday, the 4-5 game in the West, Galaxy hosting Nashville. Also nil-nil at the break. Early in the second half, Chicharito had a goal chalked off because VAR spotted a foul in the buildup, which I thought was the correct decision. But then minutes later, Julian Araujo with a nice header, 1-0, and the Galaxy advance. Ricky Puj played well again. And this sets up a playoff edition of El Trafico because in the conference semis, it will be LAFC against the Galaxy Thursday night, also on FS1. All right, so... Anyway, I, I completely agree with you in terms of the phase of play uh, and the foul was correct. And so chalking off Chicharito's goal was right, as disappointed as, uh, as he was. And that is part of what VAR is there to do. And it doesn't go back forever. We all understand that. There are sessions and there are informational <laughs> types of uh, documents that the league and pro put out and referees around the world talk about the phases of play and being able to judge when it does change and when an action is not affecting the, uh, the later action. So I thought that to your point, it was absolutely right. Uh, Julian picked a great time <laughs> to show up on that back uh, post like a salmon and get his, uh, his goal. He's not a goal scorer. We all understand that, but that's all they needed. I was a little disappointed in Nashville. I don't think it was a, you know, it was a successful season. But I had much higher expectations when it comes to Nashville, even having to go on the road for the L.A. Galaxy. Now, the L.A. Galaxy, we all know, has fundamentally changed. They spent a lot of money in the midseason. It's made all the difference. Um, and whether it's players coming in, like Ricky, or whether it's players that were there playing better, it's, it's clicking right now. And this is an L.A. Galaxy team that I think is incredibly confident now going in to you know another El Trafico on Thursday. So this is... This is going to be fun. Then the first game on Sunday, Austin-RSL, that was the 2-7 game in the West. RSL jumped out to a 2-0 first half lead. Sergio Cordova with both goals, the second one from the penalty spot. Driussi pulled one back before halftime, so it was 2-1. 
Then early in the second half, Rubio Rubin, who was already on a yellow, picks up a second yellow for a challenge on Brad Stuver. RSL had to play down a man the rest of the way. They held on until stoppage time, and then Caldwell whistled for a handball in the box. Driussi converts 2-2. We go to extra time. Driussi had goals chalked off in extra time. So we go to penalties. Brad Stuver, the hero. Austin advances. RSL are done. RSL are done. Now, you want to talk about an environment. <laughs> that was an environment there in Austin. Austin brought it. They brought it off the field. And this is what I'm going to say about this, this Austin game. Well, first off, Rubio Rubin, okay? I mean, this is grounds for dismissal. All right, not just from the field like it happened, but grounds for dismissal from the club in terms of how dumb that foul was. Look, there's times where that second yellow comes and it can be avoided. There's times where it can't be avoided. This was completely unnecessary and avoidable. And like I said, just dumb. And I don't know what his reasoning was. I know sometimes players like to show that they are making an effort by running around, running fast, and sliding and doing all that. That's all fine and well, but you, you, you killed your team with this. Now, this was not the way that, to be quite honest, uh, Pablo Mastriani drew it up for RSL or Josh Wolf drew, drew it up for Austin to come out right out of the gates and go down 2 nothing at home. Uh, and it, and so if you're RSL, you're saying, oh, my God, thank our lucky stars. This is the best thing ever. We just need to hold uh, hold out. And they didn't. Having said that, this was an Austin team that actually disappointed me in this game. I, I have never seen a team so devoid of any urgency or direction or collective understanding about what to do with all of this time being up a man, with all of this possession, the just the just constant ball into the back of the net. And look, Austin fans are going to say, it doesn't matter, we won the game. You did. You absolutely won the game. But it, it was mind-numbing to just see them hit balls in. And a better team on the day would have found a way to deal with that with a smoke uh, and a coffee. Um, having said that, it was great entertainment. It was a wonderful scene, like I said, outside of the field. And ultimately, the home team went home happy. And, and uh, Stuver, and it's great because he's one of those players that happens in all sports where you have a, a, a name that has an ooh in it. It always sounds like people are booing, but we all know that they're actually cheering and they're saying Stuver. It, he was he was incredible. Even the one he didn't stop, he should have. He, he probably should have stopped. So it could have been all him ultimately. Austin go on. RSL, with all of the trials and tribulations um, that they have had over the last couple of years and the new ownership, well done to RSL, well done to Pablo Mastriani and company uh, there. And they will look back at this as a lost opportunity. You go up 2 nothing, You then get that dumb red card. And those are types of things that you don't draw up on the board. They just kind of happen. Either you use them to your advantage um, or you don't in the case when it comes to the uh, the red card. So congratulations to Austin. I will say if Driussi goes off in these playoffs and leads Austin to MLS Cup while Mukhtar went out meekly in the first round, right? and then Mukhtar wins the MVP, it's going to have a David Robinson, Akim Olajuwon 1994 field to make an obscure NBA reference. Though. Well, but it is only for the regular season. We all understand that. And so it will have been voted home before. I had, uh, I had Drusi at a higher level on my uh, MVP list relative to the criteria that we've talked about in previous uh, previous pods. But he was awesome. He, you know, I mean, like you said, he, had, he even had goals that were uh, that were chalked off. And you know, to make that penalty at the end, I know that you know, 80 percent of the time the the ball goes in on penalties. But still, you got to st stand up there in that environment that we're talking about. They're all expecting that it's coming. But I still thought that, that Josh Wolf, when he looks at this game, while he will be proud that they ultimately prevailed, that they didn't have any type of plan B and they couldn't break down a team. And it was just, like I said, just lumping it into the box on a continual basis. That was concerning. Incidentally, that is an issue my dad has with your MVP criteria. The fact that you treat penalties as if they're like uncontested layups. And he, he well, thinks... Relative to everything else, of course they are. <laughs> I mean, when when you step up to a a free kick, all right. How many times have we seen Cristiano you know, throw it all? I mean, the, the percentage relative to a penalty kick 
I would much rather have that, an 80% chance that you're going to put it in 1v1 with a goalkeeper. But you will admit there is value in having I a player. I did not say who... that there wasn't value, all right? I just think that it should be a separate column. And when assessing a player, I'm not saying that I'm not looking at that as value. Hey, this guy's a good player. But I never say, hey, this is a good player because he scores penalties. He, he makes penalties. That, that's part of who, who he is. And I'm not saying it doesn't matter. But if, if I had to pick a player that scores a bunch of goals in the run of play or from free kicks or whatever, as opposed to a player who's just really good at making penalties, of course I'm going to take the player, the, the, the player that uh, scores all the, in the free kicks. So I love your dad. I just, I just disagree. And that's Maybe we'll I'm have him on one of these okay, weeks perfect. and you can debate him on I that. would uh, love that. Nothing more. The final game on Sunday, uh, Club de Foot Montreal, 2-0 uh, winners at home over Orlando. Orlando actually held out longer than I expected, but Ismail Kone finally broke through mid-second half, and then Mihailovic added a penalty late. So as expected, Montreal advances. Two young talents uh, in terms of what MLS is producing. Kone, as you mentioned, a, a lot of um, expectations that he is already living up to. And then we know uh, Jordi Mihailovic uh, and what he has been. I thought he was awesome. I thought uh, Mihailovic was really, really good. And ultimately, Montreal is just a better team. And I said this last week about Orlando. They gave me no confidence in the way that they got into the playoffs and the way that they play. And again, we saw a situation where Montreal was just bed, better from top to bottom in the way that they controlled all of the ball almost. And then obviously got their uh, got their goals. You know, they're playing with, you know, a, a Kai Kamara and, you know, these types of things. And they're just a much better team. And again, a wonderful scene in Montreal. And so I was happy that that type of scene was rewarded. All right, Mossy, uh, I'm going to head to the airport. Uh, it's all you, okay? Thank you, Alexi. The final two first round games were played Monday night, both aired on FS1. First up, NYCFC, 3 0 winners over Inter Miami at Rainy City Field. All three goals in the second half Gabriel Pereira, Maxi Morales, and Eber. Um, Deserved win for the champs, although it was tough to figure out if they played all that well or if Inter-Miami were just really poor, particularly that center back pairing of Lowe and Mabika was a disaster. But give credit to NYCFC. That second goal was a wonderful team move. 19 passes. Maxi Morales finishes it. So you had a veteran Argentine shining for one of the teams. For the other one, Gonzalo Higuain's career came to an end. A great career. Rose to prominence with River Plate. Then went to Real Madrid. It was interesting that on the day that he retired, another 34-year-old striker, Karim Benzema, won the Ballon d'Or. Those two battled for the starting spot at Real Madrid once upon a time. Higuain then went to Italy, played for Napoli, Juventus, AC Milan, then had a cup of coffee with Chelsea and ended up with Inter Miami. He also played in three World Cups for Argentina, so he now rides off into the sunset. NYCFC move on. They will be at Montreal on Sunday. It looks like they'll get Thales Magnum back. I'm interested to see where Nick Cushing plays him. I'm on record as saying, I don't like Tyler's up front. He's not the most energetic player. It tends to drift out of games. Uh, and I think playing him as a center forward accentuates that weakness. When you play him out on the wing, he sees more of the ball. He's more engaged. But we'll see what Nick Cushing does. Should be a really good one. I do lean Montreal on that one. The second game on Monday night, uh, Dallas-Minnesota was also nil-nil at the break. Five of the six first-round games were nil-nil at the half, which is an interesting trend. Uh, early in the second half, Emmanuel Reynoso scored for the Loons. And then about 10 minutes later, Facundo Quinone equalized off a corner. It stayed 1-1 all the way through extra time, went to penalties. Will Trapp, the only one to miss. Alan Velasco won it with a Panenka. So Dallas move on. The good and bad news for Jesus Ferreira. Good news is he gets to keep playing. I know there's a lot of concern among U.S. fans that some of these MLS players getting knocked out early in the playoffs are going to have a lot of inactivity between now and the World Cup. The bad news is Jesus Ferreira was awful in this game, missed an absolute sitter late. And so the U.S. fans on Twitter who don't think he should be on the plane to Qatar, much less starting games, they had a field day with that performance. So hopefully he picks it up here the rest of the playoffs. Uh, Dallas will now uh, play at Austin on Sunday, which should be a very good one as well. The conference semifinals get underway Thursday night, doubleheader on FS1, Philadelphia, Cincinnati, and then LAFC versus the Galaxy and El Trafico. We can't wait to bring you that. 
that's it for our MLS uh, playoff review. Coming up, you'll hear the segment I taped with Alexi uh, when we wrapped up the European weekend, PSG Marseille, Real Madrid Barcelona, Liverpool Man City, etc. So stay with us for that. All right, welcome back. Uh, Mossy, all sorts of stuff happening over there in, uh, in Europe. Where do you want to start? We'll begin in Spain with El Clasico, Real Madrid. Three- Was it classy? Cool. Was it? Classic? <laughs> Classique? Well, we'll discuss. Uh, Real Madrid, 3-1 winners at home over Barcelona. Real Madrid started off well. Karim Benzema, who today is going to win the Ballon d'Or. I'll have some reaction to that on our next podcast. He put in a rebound after Vinicius was denied by Ter Stegen. Then there was a period in the first half where Barcelona was on the front foot. They had one great chance with Lewandowski after a cross by Rafinha. But it felt like it was by design. Real Madrid were letting them have the ball, luring them forward so they could hit them on the break. And they did. Valverde with a second goal before halftime to make it 2-0. Second half, Real Madrid were cruising. But then they kind of took the foot off the gas late. Xavi made some substitutions. Ansu Fati with a brilliant run, setting up a Ferran Torres goal, 2-1. Some nervy moments at the end for Real Madrid. But then Rodrigo earns a penalty. He converts it in stoppage time. 3-1 final. Real Madrid all alone atop La Liga. It concludes a terrible week for Barcelona with that Champions League result against Inter and now this defeat. It, I think, encapsulated what has become of this rivalry in that Barcelona, we thought it was kind of back, and yet it's not quite back. It's further along than, than you know, in the recent past, but it's still not there yet. To your point, um, Real Madrid, I thought, did a really good job of, even though when they wanted to have possession, kind of saying, okay, no problem, because in that moment, I mean, even in the first goal with Vinicius behind, the, the high line that Barcelona had and all of that space, and it's not like this guy's a tortoise, uh, you know, bad things are going to happen, and they continually uh, did. Valverde is becoming a lot of people's, you know, favorite when it comes uh, to the player that he that he is becoming and he took it well wide open sitting at the top of the uh, the top of the box to your point Benzema just continues to go on and you know if if he is named I think a lot of people will just shake their head and say that was the absolute correct and maybe only choice that you could have going forward given the uh, given the year he has had so it wasn't it wasn't classic um, but there was that little moment there where there was an opening, but I never still got the feeling that Barcelona was going to have the ruthlessness that they have had in the past and smell the blood in the water that they've had in the past. Uh, and ultimately, so the, you know, the, the three to one scoreline, I don't think was necessarily uh, surprising. Yeah, the issue for Barcelona, they rely on their wingers to be really dynamic players, Rafinha on the right and Dembele on the left. And Rafinha can't dribble past anybody right now. He looks awkward even trying it. Uh, So he can float around, play some clever passes, but his inability to beat fullbacks one-on-one is really reducing his impact on games. And then on the other side, Dembele is one of the best dribblers in the world, but his end product sort of comes and goes. And right now it's one of those periods where nothing is coming off for him. So Lewandowski's really been starved for service the last few games. I know he did score twice in that Champions League encounter against... uh, Inter, but for the most part, the last few games, he hasn't seemed all that happy. And then there's issues at the back. Koundé played well, but Eric Garcia is not that good. PK is washed up. So, yeah, this Barcelona team, after all the economic maneuvers they pulled, all the money they threw around, the signings they made, uh, I still don't know if they're going to be that good this season. Let me ask you something. What, and this might be sacrilege to even say, but what gets Xavi fired? What, like, what, what constitutes where, because we recognize that he's iconic and he's going to be given a long leash and that this is much more of a, of a process, but there's still only so much of a process, right? I think he gets this season for sure. It's his first full season, but if uh, it looks like they're going to get knocked out in the group stage of the champions league, assuming they don't win Europa and they don't win La Liga and then maybe comes back and another season after this, where same thing happens, doesn't win any trophies, doesn't do anything in Europe. Then I so you don't think anything's changing the next couple of seasons? No, got it. Okay, they've they've invested too much, and you know, not all head managers, coaches are created equally. (laughs) 
Uh, All right, where do you want to go now? Next up, we go to France, Le Classique, PSG, 1-0 winners over Marseille at the Parc de France. The lone goal scored by Neymar late in the first half, assisted by Mbappe. They celebrated together, and then Mbappe came out after the game. Rubbish claims that he was unhappy, that he wanted to leave in January. He called it all fake news. So I don't know what to make of all that. Okay, so where there's smoke, there's fire. Who knows? Everything's kumbaya. Give it a game. Give it a week. It'll it'll change and something else will come out either by design or not. But on the field, they looked good. They were happy. A couple of uh, second and third bites at the apple and ultimately uh, Neymar gets uh, gets his goal. I got a tweet this morning from somebody saying, you know, Mossy, I can't believe you fell for this. The Mbappe stories were clearly Marca and other publications trying to destabilize PSG. But I will say there were reporters who are generally pro-PSG who came out and said, no, no, it's legit. Mbappe is not happy. He wants to leave. So that's why I gave it credence. And I'm still not sure I believe his denials. I think the original stories might have been true. But And if he, he is truly unhappy, whether he released it or not, I mean, it very, very likely could have come from another source. And he may have been privy to, you know, that that, that was going to be passed along or not. But what's he going to say now? Of course, he's going to try to smooth things over. And I would, I would think, despite the amount of power and leverage that he has, that there would have been a talking and a conversation about, hey, you know, you're, you're putting us under a lot of unnecessary pressure by saying these different things, even if they may be true. Can you at least smooth it out here for <laughs> the foreseeable future? And, you know, we'll deal with that when it, when it happens. It's not it's not as if he has to make a scene right now. I don't know what the benefit, street, strategic benefit is of doing it right now, if he did do it. Uh, moving to England, the big one there was Liverpool, Manchester City. Liverpool won no winners at Anfield. Mo Salah with the only goal in the second half. City had a free kick. De Bruyne floated across into the box. Allison grabbed it, and then he spotted Salah down the field one-on-one against João Cancelo and punted it in that direction. Joan Cancel an ill-advised attempt to cut it out, and Salah somehow spun away with the ball at his feet and beat well, Ederson. Somehow, Cancelo screwed it up. Cancelo I mean, screwed it up. Look, uh, Alisson, we know, is a wonderful distributor of the ball, and we have seen this. The, the interesting thing is how heavy metal football it is. Like, it is, it is straight down the gut. Everybody in the stadium knows what is about to happen, and yet you still had plenty of opportunity to snuff that out. And all it takes is one mistake, one misstep. And Mo Salah, while he might not be the player that he was five years ago uh, or a couple of years ago, you give him that opportunity. And he had other opportunities. Well, I was going to say, he beat Ederson uh, when earlier in the half, Ederson had denied him with an incredible save in an almost exact same breakaway situation. But this time, Salah got the better of him. Massive win for Liverpool. There was some refereeing controversy here because Anthony Taylor adopted a let-him-play approach throughout the match, but then City scored a goal early in the second half, Phil Foden, and it got ruled out because VAR spotted a foul, Erlen Holland on Fabinho. And if you watch that play in a vacuum, it's clearly a foul, but some people played the whataboutism game and said, well, wait a minute, there were other similar incidents throughout the match where you didn't call a foul, so where's the consistency? I say it before, Mossy. You know, if you, you're speeding on the freeway and you get caught, you can't go, hey, but everybody else is speeding. Now, what you can say is I'm keeping up with traffic. And that is an actual legitimate argument excuse, even in, <laughs> in the law book and in the, you know, the traffic regulations, you actually can be cited for being too slow and not keeping up with traffic. Having said that, yeah, I mean, in, in a vacuum, like you said, you look at this and this and this is a foul. foul. And coaches and players if you ever ask them they will always say all we want is consistency but that type of consistency doesn't give you license to still go out and break the law uh and and foul and then be pissed off when you don't get called for it if you or, get, or you get called for it if me. you gave pep guardiola truth serum i think he would tell you he has no fear of arsenal in the title race. It's still Liverpool he worries about. And so he was disappointed after the match because he knew this was a chance to drive a stake through their heart. It was 13 going into the game. Yeah, you City shouldn't win. Him, shouldn't have let them up now. 16 now would have been over. Now it's down to 10. So Liverpool might still be a give factor. Them, never give them hope, Mossy. No. Crush the spirit and the hope of your enemies. All right? And don't even let them have a flicker. 
Speaking of Arsenal and speaking of VAR, uh, kickoff of the Leeds-Arsenal game was delayed because of a malfunction with the VAR system. And I could picture... Well, electricity, right? There was right. A- <laughs> I could picture every Leeds and Arsenal fan saying, bloody hell, just play the game. We, right. we, we survived without VAR for 100 years. And yet, once the match kicked off, both sets of fans had reason to be happy that VAR existed. Arsenal won 1-0 on a goal by Bukayo Saka in the first half. But in the second half, the referee somehow missed the handball by Saliba in the box. VAR spotted it, so Leeds were awarded a penalty. Bamford uh, missed it wide. And then late in the game, the referee did award a ludicrous penalty to Leeds for this incident involving Bamford and Gabriel, where Bamford shoved them to the ground. And as Gabriel was falling, he did stick his leg out somewhat dangerously, but I don't think he made much contact with Bamford. Bamford made a meal of it, and the referee somehow gave Gabriel a straight red and a penalty. Thankfully, he reviewed it because I think that would have been farcical if Leeds got a penalty out of that. Uh, and so really hard luck for Leeds. They were they dominated the second half. I thought Adams and Aronson were both excellent and they deserved something from this game. But Arsenal able to hold on. Yeah, it's one of those weird games where Jesse Marsh goes back in and he says, well, you kind of did everything that I asked you to do. And <laughs> to your father's point, um, you expect someone to put that penalty in and that ultimately changes the way that you feel about the game. And I think everybody goes home. Well, leads certainly go home happy, but ultimately Jesse Marsh isn't being paid and the expectations are, aren't just to play well in games. It's to get those points. And he made a point after saying that this is a long-term project. Okay, fine. I don't know how long-term it is. If you ever become in danger of going uh, going down, which I don't necessarily think it hap- has. And if you are Jesse Marsh or any of the players, you have to look at this as a glass half full type of situation, even uh, even with the loss. From an American perspective, to your point, you know our guys keep playing; they keep playing well, and that is a that is a good thing. And I think there's a recognition now, and a lot of them, or both of them, I think, are starting to turn that that corner of instead of being good American players, just good players who happen to be American. And we've talked about how difficult that is. And in a very short period of time, they have proven their value to this uh, to this Leeds team. On the American front, uh, Fulham, Bournemouth 2-2. Tim Ream started, played well. And in light of Aaron Long's struggles, Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman's inactivity between now and the World Cup, Chris Richards' injury problems, the Tim Ream uh, should go to the World Cup sentiment is really growing. Uh, Stu Holden, who's a Fox Sports analyst, was tweeting up a storm about it this weekend. He said Tim Ream has to be on the plane to Qatar. Stu even intimated that he should start alongside Walker Zimmerman. What do you make of all that? Well, if he's starting alongside Walker Zimmerman, then also the theory is that he's starting next to Robinson, and which is a, a partnership and an understanding and a communication. It, that's that's fine, and you know we'll talk more about the situation with uh, with these with these players later on, both in Ask Alexi and in my one for the road here uh, today. Um, take Tim Ream. Don't take Tim Ream. I don't think it's going to change the fortunes of uh, of this team. Tim Ream has wonderful qualities um, and strengths, but he also has weaknesses. And as do as do every single player right now. Um, I'm happy that Tim Ream is playing. I'm happy that Tim Ream is playing well. And if he gets the call, great. And again, it goes back to the situation of having all of this talent now and a lot of this talent playing in very high profile and high level types of situations. They can't all fit. And we are going to have more and more debate and consternation when it comes to the pool. And that's a good thing. And You'll have your opinion. I'll have my opinion. Your father will have his opinion. Everybody will have their opinion as to uh, as to what's going to happen. I I have no problem if uh, if Tim Ream is part of the national team when it comes to the World Cup, and I have no problem if come that Wales game, Tim Ream is starting. Got a wonderful left foot. If we're playing out of the back and doing all those types of things, uh, I have great confidence that he will be able to do that. I get worried a little bit when it comes to. The over the top and the challenges from a physical perspective and him being able to uh, to deal with that. But you take the good with the bad. So if 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 uh, if Stu Holden believes that he should be there, then there's no chance he's going. 
<laughs> uh, Manchester United, Newcastle, nil-nil at Old Trafford. A couple of interesting Ronaldo moments in this game. Early in the second half, Newcastle had a free kick in their own end. The center back kind of nudged the ball back to the goalkeeper. It wasn't clear if that was him taking the free kick or giving it to the goalkeeper to take the free kick. Ronaldo interpreted it as the former, and so very cheekily he stepped in, poked the ball away from the goalkeeper, and pushed it to the back of the net, and then was incredulous that the referee said, no, 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 they haven't taken the free kick yet, and chalked it off. Ronaldo critics said that that's how desperate he is for goals right now, that he would resort to that. What did you make of that incident? All right, so that he was incredulous, that's, rid that's ridiculous. He has been in this game long enough to know that there is this kind of unwritten rule and subjective type of nature to that actual play. And we've seen it before. Having said that, I think it perfectly exemplifies who this player is in that he is always sniffing for an opportunity. He is always on that edge and he will always take an opportunity that is presented. Now, did the defender mean to pass the ball? literally pass the ball, in which case it absolutely is a live ball. And what he did was smart and right in that sense. I don't know. It's a very short pass. As a defender, you better be damn sure that you are not. Because by the letter of the law, that if, if where the ball was kicked is the, is the place that was going to, it was where the offside was going to be taken then it's absolutely in play and live and fail for Ronaldo to do what he did. But that it wasn't and that there was a kind of, that there is this gentleman's and gentlewomen's agreement that exists in our sport that you allow things like that to happen and there has to be a real collective recognition that this is the actual pass and this is the actual play starting. I don't think that that should be a surprise to Ronaldo or anybody else. Later in the second half, with the game nil-nil, Ronaldo was subbed out, very unhappy. Yes. He was cursing as he was Love walking it. off the field. Body language. Love yeah. body language talk. So we'll see how Ten Hag handles this because United have two massive games coming up. There's a midweek Premier League round. Wednesday, they host Tottenham. And then at the weekend, they're away to Chelsea. Speaking of Chelsea... Uh, two nil winners away to Aston Villa. Mason Mount with both goals. Christian Pulisic did not play at all for the second game in a row, which was a bit of a head-scratcher. Now they're away to Brentford midweek. You'd think he'd start that game. If not, then we might be back to where we were under Tuchel, perhaps even in worse off. Right. He hasn't started since he scored, but the difference is that you know this team, you don't mess with a, a winning formula. And if you're not part of it, you know it's not that you don't, that you're not good. And I'm not saying that Potter doesn't kind of see him in a more positive light than, than Tuchel because there's, you know, there's a sentiment out there that, well, Potter has found what now multiple coaches have found in that he's good, but he's not great. And he's very specific as to what Christian Pulisic can do. And I'm going to use him sparingly, but strategically going forward, which no player wants to hear. I'm not sure that's, that's the case here. But, you know, we look at it again through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. And it's, it's not a good thing for Christian Pulisic uh, right now. It'll be interesting. And we'll talk a little later in the pod about the post-World Cup world. Well, you know, if this continues on, uh, his world might look very different come January. Uh, in Italy, Napoli 3-2 winners over Sean Sullivan's Bologna. So this weekend was a bit of a mixed bag for Sean between Tennessee and Bologna. Uh, <laughs> Napoli atop the Serie A table. They have a massive game coming up next weekend away to Roma. And then finally in Germany, Union Berlin uh, remain in first place. They had a nice win this weekend, 2-0 over Dortmund. Haber with both goals. The first one benefiting from an absolute blooper by uh, the Dortmund goalkeeper. Uh, and then the second one assisted by Jordan Pifak. Uh, so I mentioned Tim Ream. Pifak was the other player this week that uh, U.S. soccer Twitter was pointing out. How could Greg Berhalter not be taking this guy with what he's doing at club level? Well, you heard us in the, uh, in the previous episodes talk about what if, what if we were coaching. And as I said before, Pifak would be in my 26. He would even be, if, if I'd, I'd take four, but if we were only allowed to take three, I would get rid of Pepe and PFOC would be in there with Sargent and uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus Ferreira because of the different things that he brings and because of, at this point, 
Brandon Vasquez just hasn't been in with the team. And at least PFOC has actually been with, in with the team. And I know Greg values that maybe more so than uh, than others. So great. It's great that he's playing. Great that he's playing well. If it does translate to a last-minute last type of uh, situation for him, that would be great. Um, but he's going to continue on. And uh, he's – but but you still – you don't still see Union Berlin hanging on here. This is – uh, no, Bayern are up to second. Four points, right? And yeah, the, the, they're coming. They're coming. Um, <laughs> Giorena, by the way, did not start for Dortmund. He came on very late, and by then PFOC had been subbed off, so they were not on the field at the same time. Okay, just ships passing in the night. There. Yes. Uh, anything else, Mossy? That is it. All right, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. All right, welcome back, and it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on all the uh, social media platforms. Send us your questions, comments, concerns, or you send uh, in a voicemail at our State of the Union podcast hotline, which is 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. And then we look through them and listen to them, and we get some that we think will uh, stimulate some conversation. I think we have a couple of voicemails, uh, Mossy, but I will say that just because we don't use your question, whether it's uh, on the uh the State of the Union podcast hotline, or you're just submitting it with an Ask Alexia out on the uh, social media platforms, doesn't mean that we won't answer it. And I'm answering all day. And, uh, you know, I'm seeing Twitter questions that we get, some of them with the hashtag, some without the hashtag. So uh, I might answer them over there on the, uh, on the social media spaces that we have. And keep in mind uh, that our handles are SOTU with Alexi, SOTU with Alexi when it comes to Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and all the different things that we uh, that we have out there. Um, we got a couple of voicemails, right, Mossy? Correct. Let's go to the first one right now. Hi, Alexi. Hi, Mossy. This is Mark from Central California. Hey, I have a question for Alexi. I'm kind of curious. When you go to uh, national team duties, you're qualifying for the World Cup or the games that are leading up to the World Cup, and you you play, you let's say you don't play that well or the team doesn't play that well and you return to your regular team, your club team, what's it like when you come back? Are those um, teammates um, razzing you about how you play? Do they try to console you? Do they do they uh, just kind of say, hey, tough going? Or what's that like? Or do people just sort of leave you alone and uh, just let you just sort of come out of whatever funk you might be in? Um, just kind of curious. Thanks for the pod. Love both you guys. Keep up the good work. Thanks. All right. Uh, thank you, Mark, uh, from California, and thank you for your uh, your question. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember, but in general, the dynamic of a club team is usually very different than the dynamic of a national team. And in the same way that I've talked about, it can be a refreshing type of change for players coming from a difficult situation, a club situation, and going into the national team. Um, it can it can actually be a nice turning of the page, especially when things maybe haven't gone well. You know, for example, back in 1998, I would have been playing for the, let's see, the Metro Stars after not only things didn't go well, they went historically poorly for the U.S. men's national team. If those, For those that remember, in 1998, we finished last out of the uh, 32 teams there, and it was a complete and utter debacle. And um, if you have a good relationship and a good dynamic, in that case, you know, we did, people will, you know, tweak you and make fun of you to a certain extent, not in a malicious way. Nobody's putting their arm around you, and nor should they or nor necessarily do you do you need it now if you made a colossal type of mistake and the whole world is talking about that you can find solace and maybe a little protection in that club situation that you are in and kind of pour all of your efforts and energy uh, into that there's a lot of questions there's a lot of curiosity as to what the world cup was like inevitably in a world cup there are intrigues and rumors and narratives that come out. And so there's a lot of questions about what was true, what, what wasn't true, what was really happening behind the scenes. And obviously you can give them a behind the scenes type of uh, type of view. And ultimately there's a, you know, there's a form of respect regardless of what happened because you were there and they weren't. And this gets back to, you know, a bigger part of 
win, lose, or draw, the opportunity to represent your country at a World Cup, you never forget. And even if it doesn't go well, it is still an incredible honor. And I think it's, I think it is still appreciated and respected by your teammates. But don't think for a second that when I walked into the locker room at the Metro Stars and there were some really interesting characters on that team that they didn't, you know, pick and choose their moments to, uh, to remind me of how we had imploded as a team. And I didn't even get uh, a minute on, on the field, but in a good, uh, a good natured uh, way. And they just wanted to know what it was like. And I would think that especially because of the unique aspect of this World Cup, a lot of players will be really curious as to how this Brigadoonish type of experience was for them. Because all you're seeing is through the lens, literal lens, of, uh, of the cameras and what we are providing. And it's only the tip of the iceberg for everything that's going on. And we obviously don't know what's happening behind the scenes as opposed to uh, players. So they really want the dirt is ultimately what, what happens. I find this dynamic fascinating, particularly like a lot of Brazilian and Argentinian players are teammates with these European clubs. Right. And they they go off to play each other in these international windows. Oftentimes it's these ill-tempered affairs where they're clashing during the game. Then as soon as the final whistle blows, you see them hugging their club teammates. They all hop on the same plane back, usually set up by the club to take them back to where they need to go. And then like three days later, if one or the other scores in a club match, they're hugging each other, celebrating. I, I find that fascinating. A couple of years ago, there was an incident and we talked about Liverpool playing Manchester City today. And it occurred in a Liverpool home game against Manchester City in which Raheem Sterling and Joe Gomez clashed during the game. And it was the last match before international window. So they then both went off to play for England. And a couple of days later, they got into it in the England camp because the bad feeling had carried over and everybody thought, wow, it's crazy that could happen. That seemed normal to me. It, the weirder part is how players can shut that off so easily. I think that, no, I think it's a, I think it's a ruthlessness. I think it is an ability to compartmentalize that all athletes at any level, and certainly at the highest level have. And it is this weird thing that I'm, I'm not saying that, that other sports don't have it, but n not even close to the extent that soccer has where, you have these two lives that you live as a player and what separates them are, <laughs> I guess, the doorway of an airplane <laughs> for the most part. Right. And once you pass through that doorway going either way, you then very quickly just assimilate back into the environment. And in many cases, you're possibly playing for a much better team than, than your national team. You're certainly getting paid <laughs> a whole lot more money. It is your day in and day out type of livelihood and and lifestyle. And life's life's too short. I'm not saying that players don't hold grudges, but I just don't and it's not a modern phenomenon. I just think in in general, that's that's how that's how the machine up there works. What else, Mossy? All right. Uh second voicemail. Hey Alexi and Mossy. This is uh Charles from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm really enjoying the podcast, and I'm, I'm enjoying getting an overview of world soccer through the lens of the U.S. It's a, it's a good way to digest a whole lot of info. Uh, so I'm, like every, well, hopefully every U.S. fan, very excited for the World Cup. I'm uh, optimistic. I've, I've got my Polisic new U.S. jersey, which I don't actually completely hate, believe it or not. Um, I'm ready to cheer for them. Hopefully they – I'm hoping they can perform to the level – we all know they're capable of and not necessarily the level that they have at times performed. Um, I wanted to know your thoughts on seeing Brandon Vasquez, who is probably the most informed striker that Greg Bearhalter refuses to call up, outrunning and scoring essentially on Aaron Long, who is uh, looking like our, one of our starting center backs. And I know that's not indicative of either player's entire portfolio, but it just felt horribly ironic that uh, one of the players that Greg Bearhalter seems destined to play starting for us um, did not perform so well against one of the players that everybody has wanted him to call up, and uh, he seems uninterested in calling up. Um, so yeah, I'd, hopefully this next window, or this next uh, camp, he'll get a chance to be called up, but just wanted your thoughts on the, is that a bad omen we're seeing or just lucky circumstance? Thanks for the podcast. Bye. Okay. Charles from Atlanta. First off, 
um, I'm happy that you like the uniforms. <laughs> I mean, that is, that's, uh, that's not something that we hear a lot. So that's a, uh, that's a good thing or a positive. And I think U.S. soccer and Nike would probably think that that is a positive. But more importantly, who is going to be in those uniforms come, uh, come the World Cup? Um, we talked a little bit earlier about the, uh, the Cincinnati game. And this moment that is now, uh, you, you said, was dripping with, with irony and is going to you know, be used going forward, where you had Brandon Vasquez from Cincinnati uh, beating Aaron Long. One of these players is going to be at the World Cup, and one of them isn't. And as a matter of fact, when it comes to Aaron Long, who's going to be at the World Cup, uh, there's a good chance that he is going to start, given recent events. That has a lot of people worried. Uh, is Aaron Long a great player? No. Is he a player that could star at a World Cup? Yeah. Because just be, <laughs> because, would you put all your money on that? No. But here's what we're evidently going to do now. Anytime that somebody who is not with the national team makes a good play, we are going to attach value to that and added value to that and immediately say, you know, this, for example, this weekend, John Brooks got the start first time in a long time and he made a nice pass. Oh my God, he should be starting for the U S men's national team because why? Well, because of that pass that he made. Okay, fine. We can play that game all day with players that are going to be on the national team and aren't going to be on the national team because they make good passes. They make bad passes. Tim Ream, who we were talking about uh, earlier, I saw him get beat this week. I got, I, I saw him in situations that would concern me, but I also saw him make nice passes. This particular instance, why it is so I think telling for a lot of people is that not only did, did Vasquez score a goal and we know that he wasn't called into the last camp and you know, unless something strange happens, there's a good chance that he's only going to be around for the next cycle as opposed to this uh, World Cup cycle. But he did it and he blew past Aaron Long. Now, that could easily have been Walker Zimmerman. It could have been certainly Tim Ream uh, and in particular Tim Ream. Absolutely, Brooks. We know that Chris Richards is still injured, and who knows when he's going to be okay. So yes, there is a valid and fair concern and criticism when it comes to Aaron Long and when it comes to that back line, uh, that back line going forward. But if we are going to chicken little every single time we see a player that potentially could play on the national team do something well and ascribe such value to it that immediately we should be changing it. And every five minutes, we are going to be changing, changing, the, uh, changing the roster. So um, anything else on this one, Mossy? No, that's it. All right. Thanks uh, to Mark and Charles for your uh, questions. And thanks to everybody that keeps sending questions in on the, uh, the podcast hotline. Really appreciate it. it. It enables us to kind of not just hear your voice, but also to hear your, your personality. And it's really unique and different relative to just typing something out. But we love when you uh, send us your tweets and all that kind of stuff, too. So keep doing that with the uh, hashtag Ask Alexi. And then keep calling uh, on the State of the Union podcast hotline. Again, 657-549-2200. Nine, seven. All right, we'll take another quick break. And when we come back, I'll give you my one for the row. Okay, welcome back. It is the end of our show. And at the end of each and every show, I give him my uh, one for the road. You know, Masi, I've been thinking about, I mean, we're, we're getting so close to the World Cup. And we talk about the best laid plans from a coaching managerial perspective that are going to play out either positively or negatively on the uh, field. But there's so much more that goes into preparation for a World Cup. Much of it we can see, but you know, plenty of it we don't see that happens behind the scenes and happens well in advance. I think we've talked about before on the pod the, the race to get training facilities, the race to get hotels uh, after you have qualified and even before you're uh, qualified, making sure and you know, some are better than others. And the United States Soccer Federation and the men and women that work behind the scenes for this national team that we are going to watch have been working for a long time to make sure that everything is taken care of for the players. I was out in uh, New York this week with uh, a bunch of our folks that are going to be 
broadcasting the uh, the World Cup. Plenty of our our, our team uh, was out there. Some in front of the camera, some in behind the camera. It was really fun. We we did a, a whole big um, media day, and we talked to so many different uh, people. Had a wonderful event right underneath the uh, Empire State Building there. But uh, I saw Brian McBride, the, uh, the GM of the U.S. Men's National Team, talked with uh, Michael Cameron, the uh, head of um, uh, communications over there for the U.S. men's national team. And we were talking about the preparation and the readiness of this team. And uh, my Cameron was actually telling me that they have even gone so far as to make sure that the lights within the hotel are adjusting for the late kickoffs that this World Cup is having, late kickoffs in terms of local time in, uh, in Doha. And I think I, in a previous pod, I talked about the incredible facility that the U.S. is staying at and all of the different rooms uh, that they have. And look, these are, these are the best laid plans and these are details, but these are details that are important. And this isn't just Greg Berhalter and company that are doing this. All the teams are doing this. And this isn't the first time. Uh, we talked to, about Jurgen Klinsmann and his attention to detail. Well, in talking to Brian and uh, and cameraman, they've really gone all out to give Greg Berhalter and this team every advantage possible in terms of where they sleep, where they eat, the environment, the travel, even though it's obviously very, very minimal, the training facilities, and as I mentioned, <laughs> lights and all the different things that are uh, that are happening, and the unique aspect of this World Cup. Now, those types of, I guess, the, well, relative to my generation, they would be called perks, but those types of small advantages, they cost money. And this United States Soccer Federation has spent the money in order to give us, and I say us, the United States, the best possible chance of being successful. I don't know ultimately how much it is going to change the situation, but it is nice to know that your men's national team going into this World Cup, and it should be said, your women's national team going into the World Cup next, next summer, are given all of these resources to do their best. And in doing so, there can be no excuses. And I know we talk about this U.S. men's national team, and a lot of the talk is about how young and inexperienced they are. And they are. But that doesn't mean that they advocate any type of responsibility. As a matter of fact, I would submit to you that it means we have higher expectations. They want for nothing. You remember four years ago, Mossy, when I yelled at the, uh, the national team and you know, called them you know, spoiled, tattooed millionaires and stuff like that. And I said at the time, and it has only increased, you are a generation that has been given everything. And therefore, with that comes the responsibility and the heightened expectations. And I wouldn't put it on you just to put it on you. I, I put it on you because of all the opportunity that you have, all of the pathway, all the research that we've talked about, but most importantly, the amount of talent that you have. And so I'm excited about this World Cup, as we've talked about before, for a number of different reasons. Uh, there shouldn't be any excuses ultimately when that whistle blows. The environment is going to be pristine on the field. The environment off the field, they are going to want for nothing. And then, you know, let the chips fall where they may. But it was good to hear that all of those preparations have been in place for a long time. And once they hit the ground in, uh, in Doha, they will be relative to previous generations in the lap of luxury, and it makes me proud, and it makes me happy that they have these advantages uh, going in. And I hope they don't take them for granted. I don't think that they uh, that they do. And I hope whatever it is, how minimal, how small of an advantage it gives them, I hope that maybe that's the the uh, the part of the advantage that you know finds a point here, or finds a goal here, or finds a win here, or maybe gets us into that uh, round of sixteen. Anything, Mossy? 
Well, uh, we are going to have another podcast this week. And when we do, I will fill you in on Tuesday, October 18th, because that day will be just a rumor in your life. Uh, you are not actually going to experience that day. So I'll have to tell you what happened in the world. Yes. So as we mentioned, uh, we have a long day today and I will be heading to the airport. I will get be getting on a, uh, I think it's a Qantas flight, and I will be heading off through Sydney to Auckland. I think 16 hours to Sydney and then another four hours uh, to Auckland. We have a special midweek pod for you. As I, um, as I mentioned, um, I think you're going to like it. It's a really interesting conversation. And uh, I will be down there for the U.S., uh, well, representing the U.S. for FIFA in the uh, World Cup draw, the Women's World Cup draw, which you know is happening next year, in uh, next summer in Australia and New Zealand. I've been to New Zealand before. I've been to Wellington, New Zealand. We toured with uh, the Galaxy back when David Beckham was playing for us. And beautiful, beautiful country. So I'm looking forward to a trip back. But yes, it is a long flight. I leave on a Monday. I get there on a Wednesday. So that Tuesday, I have no idea. It's just poof, like Kaiser Sose. Uh, anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for reviewing and subscribing and doing all the different things uh, that you do. Again, that uh, State of the Union podcast hotline is 657-549-2297. I'm heading down under, uh, but we will talk again uh, next week. Enjoy all of the soccer that is happening, and there is so much of it uh, this week. And uh, until then, size the day. <laughs> <laughs>